0: Oh, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you guys this morning. So thrilled that we can gather together and worship the Lord this morning. My heart is full seeing your joy and your peace in the midst of all that's going on around us, to see your excitement of singing the Lord's praises and studying his word. It has done good to my soul to be with you guys this morning, and I am thankful for our opportunity to study God's word together. Find James chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 1. Over the last 10 weeks, friends, we've been walking through the the first part of James chapter 1 here. And what we've seen, honestly, is very timely for all that's going on around us, isn't it? James already told us at the beginning of James 1 that we will face trials of many kinds. And so even this week as we see the trial of the coronavirus and all that's happening with that, we're not surprised. We've been told that there will be trials of many different types. But if you remember back from the beginning of James 1, James told us that we can have peace and contentment in the trials. Knowing that God is sovereign over all things and he brings good. Particularly he builds up our faith in the midst of the trials. And I do pray that as you've dealt with the trials this week of the coronavirus and it's spreading. That you've been able to, by God's grace, find peace and contentment. Knowing that God will bring good out of these not good situations. James continued and told us that we need wisdom. And that's been a prayer I think a lot of us have been praying this week. Lord, give us wisdom. And we have that incredible promise from James 1. That if we lack wisdom and ask God for it, believing he will give us What we need. We saw as well in James chapter 1 already the dangers of living for the here and now, the dangers of riches or of poverty, and how James uses that to turn our minds to eternity and to the life beyond. And friends, even this week in the news, as we see coronavirus and hear about deaths and things like that, it turns our hearts to hopefully by God's grace to think about not just this life, but what comes forever. And then we've also seen in this, as CJ was just praying, the incredible goodness of God. And I hope as you've thought about all these things we've seen in James 1, that this has been food for your soul and comfort for you and strength and hope from God's word in the midst of all the uncertainty of the world that is around us. In our last few weeks in particular in James 1, we've seen the importance of the word of God, the scriptures, the written word of God in our lives. Go back to verse 18 um, in James chapter 1 before we get into our text for this morning. Just see what God has told us in this. Of his own will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth. That we see the role of the word of truth, the gospel, the scriptures... That God used it to bring life into our soul. But we saw last week that that word of truth is not something we need one time. That the gospel and the word of God is not something we need just to get into the kingdom. So what we need day by day by day by day. So look down to verse 21 that we saw last week. James tells us, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant witness ...and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. The word of truth of verse 18 and the implanted word of verse 21 are the same thing as the gospel message, the scriptures, God's written word to us. We're received with meekness his word. Now that raises a big question for us, friends. What does it look like to receive the word of God? What does it look like to receive the word of truth? What does it look like to receive with meekness this implanted word? Friends, does having a copy of the Bible on our phone count? Does having a shelf full of Bibles at home count? Does us having a devotional every day with a verse of scripture and a story with it count? Does us having a Bible reading plan and sing to it, does that count? Is that what James is talking about with receiving with meekness the implanted word? Because all the things I mentioned are good. We should be doing this, but that's that's not what James has in mind. When he says, receive with meekness and plan of word, he has something much more in mind, because friends, we can do all those things. We can read the Bible on our phones, we can have Bibles on our shelves, we can do Bible reading plans, we can gather in small groups and discuss the word of God, and we can do all that and remain completely unchanged. Alistair Begg is a Scottish, pa- or Scottish background pastor. I love hearing because I've probably because of his accent more than anything else, but he is a faithful teacher of the Word of God. But in teaching on this particular text, he said something that really struck me. He said, It is possible to be charmed by the Bible without being changed by the Bible. It's possible to be charmed by the Bible without being changed by the Bible. Friends, we can have the most consistent Bible reading plan of anyone we know, and we can attend every small group and every Bible teaching opportunity and be exposed to the Word of God and find it interesting or fascinating, but if it's not changing us... We're just being charmed by it, and we're not doing what James says here in verse 21 of receiving with meekness the implanted word. It is very possible to expose the word of God and be unchanged by it. So James continues, and that's where we pick up this morning in verse 22 through verse 25. Yes, we're going to try to do four verses this morning. As so we look through this next paragraph in James, he's going to show us what it looks like to receive with meekness the implanted word. He's going to explain to us what he has in mind. So as we read this text, be looking for what is the evidence that we have received the word of God? What is the evidence that we have received the word of God? Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 22 through 25, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version here. Verse 22 of James 1. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that you've given us your word Think, God, that we don't have to wonder what your will is. We don't have to wonder who you are. God, you've shown it to us. You've spoken it to us and put it in writing right before us. And Lord, we're so thankful that we get to read and hear your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you stir my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to where we would long to have your word transform us. We long to study even more, and we long for it to take root and transform us and, in ch- and change us. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to receive what it looks like to receive with meekness the implanted word because we all so desperately Need it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's what I want you to see from James chapter 1 this morning is simply this. It is not enough to read and hear God's word. We must seek his grace to obey it. It is not enough for us just to read and hear the word of God. We must seek his grace to obey it. Yes, friends, reading the Bible is great. Studying the Bible is great. Hearing the Bible read or taught is great. We need to be doing that, but we must not stop there. God's will for us is to hear it, to read it, but also to seek His strength to obey it. Like we've seen over and over in James, it's going to be no surprise. The strength to obey God's Word cannot be found within us. The strength is going to come from His grace that He gives to us. It's not enough for us to just read and hear God's Word. We must seek His grace to obey it. I want us to unpack that this morning from God's Word. But you see, first of all, it's not enough for us just to read and hear God's Word. So go back to verse 22 and look at how he begins here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He begins with a command, this command be. This is a present tense and the Greek means it's an ongoing command. To be and keep on being something. To do and keep on doing something here. This is a command about our character, about our nature. That our nature should continuously be something here. And he tells us that we're to be more than just hearers. We're not to be hearers only. Now he's not saying that hearing is wrong... He's just saying it doesn't need to stop with that. Friends, hearing the word of God to the original audience would have been so important. Remember, he's writing to Christians of a Jewish background... ...who had come out of Judaism and were following Christ now. And in their Jewish culture, hearing the word of God was life for them. It was the most important part of their worship gatherings. It was what they did in celebration. Hearing the word of God was so important to them. And can I remind you at the time, they didn't have printed copies of God's word... They didn't have an ESV Bible app on their phone to go scroll through and quickly look up that verse. They didn't have shelves of Bibles like we have at home and anything like that. They had to hear the Word of God to know what it said. And so, for instance, we apply this to our situation. We can speak to this about us being hearers and readers. It's the same idea. He's talking about exposure to the Word of God. So as we look at this verse, we could, the command for us is to be doers of the Word and not hearers and readers only. Because in our context, we get to hear it, but we also have what they didn't have. We get to hold a copy in our hands, either on our phones or on the printed copy before us. And friends, the reality that James lays out for us here is that if we hear the word of God or we read the word of God, and if it either bores us or if it charms us without changing us, then there's a warning for us here that he gives us. Look back at verse 22 here. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Friends, if if we're exposed to the Word of God and it's not transforming us, it's not changing us, he says we are deceived. Now, how are we deceived that the Word of God is not changing us? Well, in one sense, we're deceived because we're missing God's will. God's will is for us to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in holiness. And he shows us what that looks like in the word of God. And so if we say we're followers of Christ, and either we don't read the word, or we read the word and we're bored by it, or we read the word and it's interesting but it's not changing us, we're deceived because it's not doing what God's will is for it to do in our lives, and that is to transform us and to make us more like Christ. And there's another possibility about deceit here that is sobering as well for us. And there's a possibility, if God's word is not changing us, That we're deceived about our relationship with God. That we think we're right with God when we're really not. That perhaps we think we're right with God because we've done some external things, but there's no fruit, there's no change happening in our life. There's a very sobering text in Matthew chapter 7. I'll show it on the screen for you. I want you to see this morning. These are Jesus' own words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 19. Look at what Jesus said. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Now, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop there, friends. That's really sobering, isn't it? That means there's many people in the world who would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's my Lord. But Jesus says on the day of judgment, many will stand before him thinking they're right with him when they're really not. Because they're not a good tree. They're not being changed. There's not real fruit in their life. He goes on to say this in the verse there of what the difference is. He says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Sorry, sorry. Let me go back here to verse 21. Let me read again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22. Now, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. This is what James is warning us about here. He's taking what Jesus said and applies it here to how we respond to the word of God. So go back to verse 23 in James chapter one. He says here, for if anyone, there's that word if, there's a possibility to be deceived. There's a possibility that you and I could be deceived, that we're exposed to the word of God and we're in a place where we hear the word of God and we read the word of God, but there is a real possibility of deceit if it's not changing us. And James wants us to see this so bad. He doesn't just tell us, be doers and not hearers only. He now gives us a powerful image to make sure we get this and to get his warning. So look at verse 23. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Is it a person who hears the word of God, or in our case, reads the word of God, is exposed to the word of God, but is not changing him? They're not obeying God's word here is like. He's giving us an important image, an important, important comparison. It's like a person who looks intently. This means it's not just a passing glance. He looks intently. He's spending time looking at oneself in the mirror. Now, friends, what's the point of the mirror? The mirror is to show you yourself, right? You look at the mirror before you left home this morning to make sure your hair's straight and everything's tucked in, right? You know, the mirror shows you what you can't see yourself, right? That's the whole function of the mirror. And James says the image here is a person who's looking, not just quickly running by the bathroom mirror, but they're looking intently at the mirror to see what they're supposed to see. And in particular here in verse 23, it says they're looking at his natural face. Now this is a really tough translation in the Greek, and the translators have a really hard time getting this translation right for us. Because the word that we translate natural here is literally the Greek word Genesis. Think about Genesis beginning. So Natural is kind of a loose translation for us because it literally it's the one who looks at his genesis face Now what in the world is he saying by that? He's saying it's a person who looks at the face of his nature So we say natural face and we're thinking of the physical part But what james is trying to highlight is our natural face our nature what's inside of us And so the mirror here is the word of god and the mirror is what shows us our nature and isn't that what god's word does for us? It shows us the face of our nature. It shows us who we really are. When we look at God's Word, we see who God made us to be. When we see how far short we follow that, how sin has wrecked it. We see the reality of our sin, the reality of our struggles, the reality of our fallings. We see the ugliness of the sin and brokenness in our lives. We see in the mirror of God's Word how deceitful our hearts are, how wretched we are, and how much our sin has, has offended God and hurt other people. Yet as we look in that mirror that shows us our, the face of our nature... It shows us the grace of God and how to walk with God and how to find victory and how to put off those sinful things and put on Christ's likeness. That's what James is building for. So this person, in verse 23, looks intently, not a passing glance running by the bathroom mirror, but spends time looking at the mirror to see his nature. But notice what happens. This person here starts off well doing that, but look at what happens in this verse 24. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. This person goes away and immediately forgets the face of his nature. He forgets his nature once he walks away from the word of God. He forgets what God has just said about himself. The truth about who he is before God does not change him anyway. any way. The truth of his struggles with sin does not change him in any way. Whatever caused this man or woman to look in the mirror intensely, it does not last. It's just fleeting and it's momentary. And the point that James is trying to drive home for us this is that God has given us Scripture, the written Word of God, to reveal to us who God is and who we are and how we know Him. And all too often, friends, you and I hear that truth, we read that truth, and we turn and walk away. It doesn't change anything about our days. And we've quickly become the person who hears the Word of God but is not a doer of the Word of God. And God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us like that. He tells us to be a doer, not a hearer. He gives us this powerful image of a person looking in a mirror and walking away, forgetting to drive at home. But then he tells us what he wants us to be like. And there's really two commands here in the latter part of this paragraph that shows us what God's will is, of what it looks like to receive with meekness the implanted word. So the two things that instead we should be like picks up in verse 25. And the first one is this. We are to be people who seriously study God's word. We're going to be people who seriously study God's Word. Look at verse 25. But, here's the contrast. He's contrasting the person who looks in the mirror and forgets. The person who looks at the Scripture and does not change them. So what are we to be instead? Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So he tells this, the one who looks into the perfect law. Now, this is where our English doesn't do justice for us because the word look here is a completely different word than the word look in the previous verse. So the word look, with the guy looking in the mirror, is the person who kind of intensely looks at something for a minute. But this, the verb here for look takes it to another level. This word literally means to stoop down and look closely at something. The image I get of this is when I've taken my kids hiking before and we're out on a trail and we're all walking along, and I'm leading the way, and I also don't hear footsteps behind me. I'm like, where are my kids? And I turn around, and they're all hunched over way down the trail, stooped over looking at something with intenseness. They found a caterpillar or a bug or something that just mesmerizes them. And they're staring at this bug, crawling across the trail, just absolutely mesmerized by it. That's the second word for look right here. The person who stops what they're doing, who bends down, who looks with intenseness at something that is intriguing to them. This is the actually same word that's used in John chapter 20, Verse 5, on resurrection morning, when you see the disciples and Mary Magdalene going to the tomb and stooping to look in. We have that big phrase, stooping to look in. That's just one word in Greek. It's the exact same word we have here in James chapter 1 of looking. Stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Do you think the disciples, when they stooped to look in, were like, oh, look, tomb's empty. Oh, well, it's going our way. They were... Intrigued. They were puzzled, and so they stoop, and they bend, and they look with amazement, and just stare and keep on staring at something that amazed them. That's the exact same word. So go back to verse 25 that we have here in James 1. But the one who stoops down and stares with intensely into the perfect law. So what is it we're to study with that seriousness? We're to study the perfect law. Now, James uses some interesting terms here, because remember, he's writing to people out of a Jewish background. When they hear the word law... They would think of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. And he's not discounting that, but he's saying there's something fuller here. He's talking about the, the perfect law, the law that's now fulfilled in Christ. Yes, the law of the Old Testament, but how Christ interpreted it, how Christ fulfilled it. It's what Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 tells us when Christ speaks this and says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to do what? To fulfill them. So the perfect law is the law fulfilled in Christ, what, how Christ has explained the law to us, to show us how the law points to him, how he perfectly obeyed the law so we could go and be that sacrifice so we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because he's already been the final sacrifice. That's the perfect law that he's talking about here. But James wants to make sure we really get what he's talking about and what message we need so much. So in verse 25, if you go back there, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, now ask this phrase, the law of liberty. That seems like a contradiction. At first, the law and a law of liberty. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law of Christ, the message of Christ now brings liberty to us. It brings freedom to us. It brings freedom from the penalty of sin. It brings freedom from the power of sin in our life so that we can walk with God. So we see these terms here, the law, the law of liberty, the perfect law. These are all just synonyms to James of the word of truth or the implanted word, what we might call the gospel message today. And so James is calling us to stoop down, to ponder, to look at this law, this message of Christ, the gospel, all of scripture here. And he tells us that we need to listen to it. Again, verse 25, but the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets. But again, here it is, a doer who acts. And so he tells us we need to study it, but number two, we don't just need to seriously study it, we need to act on what we've learned. So we need to seriously study it, but then number two, we need to act on what to lo- we learn. We need to seek to Obey it. So in verse 25, he says, we're to be a doer who acts. So we hear the word of God. As we read the word of God, we're to respond to what we read and hear. We're to desire to follow. We're to strive to do so. And this is so much his point that he bookends this whole section with us. Go back to verse 22 at the beginning of the paragraph. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now go back to verse 25. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He's bookending the whole thing. The first verse and the last verse are both present tense. Be and keep on being doers of the word of God. Be and keep on being people who study the word of God. Be and keep on being people who seek to obey God's word. And again, friends, that's nothing new. This is what Jesus said as well. So back to Matthew chapter 7. I want to reread for you what we read earlier, but keep on going because Jesus continues. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Listen to this again. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now notice he goes on here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall... Have been found on the rock. Verse 25. And everyone who hears, sorry, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do you notice the connection here, friends? We tend to look at teaching and separate them, and we'll talk about the teaching of Jesus saying, Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We use that in the evangelistic setting, and we kind of isolate it here. We means the, the parable of, G, of building the house on the rock or the sand, and we teach that to our kids in a certain setting. But it's one flow of thought in Jesus' teaching here. He's warning us that not everyone who thinks they're a Christian is actually going to go to heaven. And what's the comparison? What's the difference? Well, in both these, the person with the house on the rock and the person with the house on the sand, both of them hear the Word of God. Because in both these, he references the Word of God. The person who builds their house on the rock hears the Word of God and does it. And the person whose house on the, the sand hears the Word of God and does not do it. This is the same thing that James is trying to drive home for us, friends. We need to seriously seek to study God's word, but we what? We must seek God's grace to obey it and not be deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're okay if we really are not. That raises the question for us, friends: How will we obey God's word? Now, think about last week. We talked about the command we saw of God's word that we were to obey, that we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And if you're like me, you've sinned in that command since last Sunday when we talked about it, right? We can so easily fall in our speech. In seven days from being exposed to the Word of God about our speech, a lot of us are already struggling to be quick to speak or quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And friends, that's just one command. God commands obedience in all parts of our lives. He even commands obedience of our thought life. And so we struggle. So what is the hope of us obeying God in all of this? It's obviously not based on our speech struggles. It's not based on our self-effort. What is the hope? Well, James chapter 4, verse 6, which we'll get to in a few months, at the rate we're going. But James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. But it's the hope for you and I to obey God's word is not you and I trying harder. It's us seeking the grace of God to change us. God gives us his grace in giving us even the desire to obey God gives us his grace in giving us the written word so we know what to obey. God gives us his grace in giving us understanding of the word so we know what it says. God gives us his grace in filling us with the Holy Spirit so we find strength and power to obey what we could not obey. In our own strength, God gives us grace and giving us community to encourage one another. So as we're struggling to obey, we have people to speak into our lives and help us help one another. And that God gives us His grace and giving us conviction and discipline when we err to bring us back to obedience. God gives us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to do what we could not do, and even more, he, in His grace, He gives us the promise of a blessing if we will seek His grace to obey. And notice the promise here. Look back at, the, at verse number 25 of James 1. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be, what's the next word here? He'll be what? He'll be blessed. Okay, this is a promise from God's word. James has already told us at the beginning of chapter 1 that if we persevere in trials, we'll be blessed. Now he says if we persevere in seeking grace to obey, we will also be blessed. So that raises the question. What type of blessing do we get from obeying God's word and seeking his grace to do so? Well, this is where it gets frustrating for me because the scholars I read are divided on what the blessing is here. Half say one thing and half say the other. Okay, so about half the scholars I read on James say this blessing is future tense. This is eschatological. This is still to come. This is the blessing of eternity with God. And their point is that if you find obedience coming in your life to the Word of God, that confirms for you that you are a child of God, so you have all the hope of heaven to look forward to. And furthermore, some would add that that blessing is also the promise of rewards in heaven for what happens during this life. Now, about half the scholars say, no, 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 it's not that. It's present tense blessings. This is the blessing of joy today today. Knowing you're in the will of God. This is the, the, the hope of today, of knowing that God's will for you is good. This is the promises for today. Well, friends, can I suggest we don't have to choose between those? That it's not an either-or. That it really is both-and. That the blessing God's promises are both now and eternity. Yes, today when we, by God's grace, find strength to obey, we get the blessing of being God's will. We get the blessing of joy. We get the blessing of hope. We get the blessing of knowing that this glorifies God and that we're doing what God has called us to do. But friends, we also have that future tense blessing still to come. Knowing that these works do confirm that God's grace is changing us, that we're children of God. Knowing that there are rewards in heaven that we can lay at the feet of Christ one day from what's happened in this life. This is a blessing for both now and forever. When by God's grace we study His word, by His grace we receive it with meekness, and by His grace we let it change us. Friends, it is not enough for you and I simply to read and hear God's word. We must seek his grace to obey. Friends, we have unprecedented access to his word, unlike really any people at any time in world history. Do you realize that? The early church he's writing to, they had to go and have someone with a rare Access to the Word of God, read it to them. Friends, we can pull it up on our phones wherever we are. We can find it on the internet. We can hear it on the radio. We, can, we have shelves full of Bibles. Friends, we have so much access to the Word of God. The question for us is, are we receiving it? It's there, but are we studying it? Are we reading it? Are we hearing it? But Then the further question for us is, we have access to it. If we're exposed to it, are we now seeking to obey it? Is it something that we're approaching with curiosity there's something we're running after because we need God to change our lives. And, friends, third, are we experiencing the blessing that comes now and forever from finding His strength to obey it? There's a lot of that. I want to give us a real-life example of this and related to the situation of the coronavirus this week. When I got to this text and saw how it fell this week, I needed this this week. Because the reality of being doers of the Word and not hearers only, when we come to a trial, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we have to put feet into action, so to speak, to what God's Word says. God's Word speaks to what our heart and attitude should be towards the trial of a pandemic around us. And the question for us, friends, is are we going to be here to hear God's Word, but then like the person who sees his face and forgets, are we going to quickly get swayed by scrolling through social media or the news and the panic and the selfishness we see? Are we going to be swayed by all that and quickly forget what God's Word, what the mirror of God's Word shows our hearts Are we going to hear it and read it and seek God's word for his wisdom and then seek his grace to obey? Because God has spoken into this situation that we have today. I want to give you six commands from scripture this morning that I believe relate to how we approach the coronavirus. Friends, I need to speak these to myself as well because my heart will very quickly not go down the path of these six things that God has given to us, I believe, speak into our situation. I'm just going to quickly mention them. And as we read them, our prayer needs to be, God, am I going to be a hearer who just hears? Am I going to be a doer who hears this and acts on what you say? Number one, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be fearful. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Do not be anxious about... How much? Okay, I think the coronavirus is in that. Anything? Anything asterisk except the coronavirus? Now, didn't be interesting about anything but in, What's the next word? And everything. Okay, that means even in the midst of a pandemic around us, so the world doesn't know how to stop. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Oh, yikes, it gets harder now here, Right? We're supposed to find a way to pray and talk to God in the midst of this pandemic with thankfulness in our heart. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 continues that. And here is a promise here. Talk about blessings now. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which CNN and Fox News and Drudge Report and all those things don't have, Okay, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First command for us, do not be anxious, do not be worried, do not be stressed about the situation. Are we going to be hearers only, or by God's grace are we going to be doers? Number two, trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. James 1's already described this and shown this for us. Look back just on the page you're in in your Bible. to James chapter 1, verse 2. And look at what he says. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Ouch. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So in this, though it doesn't use the word sovereignty, we see sovereignty here that we talked about when we saw this some weeks ago. The God who is bigger than all takes the not good things of life. And for instance, the coronavirus pandemic is not good. It's part of the, the curse and the fallenness of the world. But a sovereign good God takes the brokenness around us and can bring good to his people. He's testing our faith, and he wants to prove steadfastness in you and in me. In the midst of all that's going around in the world, when everyone is in panic, he wants to make us steadfast. We see the sovereignty and the goodness of God, but he doesn't leave us out there hanging on our own. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. There's the goodness of God to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we're commanded to not be anxious, and we're commanded to trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God of God. Number three, we need to seek to spend time together. We need to, speak to se- seek to spend time together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 speaks to this. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, let me just say here, this doesn't mean we do not take wise steps. There are people at risk and who are vulnerable who we've encouraged to not be here today. And that's good and that's wise. You need to seek God's wisdom for that. But friends, the reality is when there's a pandemic around us, we have to be in each other's lives. We need one of our friends. My heart is so much more steadfast this morning than it was last night when Joy and I went to bed because I'm around other believers. who, by God's grace, are steadfast. And the joy on your face and the peace on your face has been good for my soul this morning. Now go back one verse to verse 24 here. Because this is what we need. We need to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Friends, in a world where everyone's in panic and stockpiling and trying to do everything else, we have a call to stir one another up. Back to verse 25 there. We need to be encouraging one another all the more to see the day approaching. Because we need the encouragement. Now, again, if you're at a place to where you don't need to be out, that's great. God understands and cares and all that. But you can still encourage other believers from home. Don't let needing to withdraw for your health or your family's health keep from being each other's lives. We have the ability to pick up a phone and call one another. We have a church directory online for our members so you can find each other's phone numbers. You can text to one another. You can write letters. Friends, don't isolate yourselves. Yes, if you have to have medical isolation, we get that. But don't isolate yourself spiritually from the community. Reach out to one another and encourage one another through the midst of this. So God tells us to not be anxious. He tells us to trust in His sovereignty, His goodness. He tells us to seek as we're able to spend time together. Number four, seek to bless one another. Seek to bless one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Friends, we see in the world around us, if you've been to Costco or Sam's or Walmart recently... People not very interested in doing good for one another. Everyone's all about self, right? And we have an opportunity as followers of Christ in the midst of all the panic around us to, as we have opportunity, seek to do good to others, to seek to bless them, especially to other followers of Christ in that. And friends, as we seek to do that, that's going to be really strange to people. As God gives us wisdom and open doors of how to bless and encourage other people, it's going to seem strange if we're not living for ourselves in the midst of this. That'll lead to Number five. God calls us to give an answer for the hope we have. To give an answer for the hope we have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's writing to people who are suffering. Peter's writing to the early church that was in the midst of so many trials and difficulties. And he says, as you walk out your Christian life, non-believers are going to go, there's something different about you. And friends, as we walk out this pandemic of coronavirus, and we have peace instead of anxiety, and we're seeking to bless people instead of making it all about us, and we seek to live very countercultural, I believe non-believers are going to ask, same thing they were asking the early church, what's different? Why aren't you worried? Why are you out? Why are you seeking to do good? Whatever it is. And we're told to be ready to... Give a reason for the hope we have in it. Friends, what a great prayer for us to pray. Lord, would you give me opportunities in the midst of this crisis to have peace and joy and hope that leads the non-believers around me to ask about you so I can give them you the hope of the gospel. So don't be anxious. Trust in the sovereign and goodness of God. Seek as you're able to to spend time together or at least encourage one another over text or email. Number four, bless one another. Number five, give answer for the hope you have. And number six, intentionally make Christ known. Don't wait for them to come to us. Let's seek to intentionally make Christ known. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, not still in First Peter, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim, that word means to shout out, to advertise, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For that command to make Christ known is not a command only for the easy days. It's a command for the hard days as well. Because we're in a time, friends, where people are a lot more receptive to thinking about eternity. People who our culture hates thinking about death and the fragileness of life. And we're in a place where people are realizing how frail and short and fragile life is. And we as the body of Christ need to seize that and to make known the excellencies of Christ to people who are thinking about the frailness of life right now. Friends, do not be anxious. Trust in the sovereignty and goodness of God. Seek to spend time together as you're able. Seek to bless other people. Give answer for the hope that we have in us and intentionally make... Christ known. We've seen a scripture to go with each one of those. So again, the question goes back to what we're saying this morning: it's not enough for us to hear and to read God's word. We must seek His grace to obey it, friends. those things I just mentioned, the six things, they are not natural. They're very countercultural, And yet they glorify God and they bring us great joy, friends. As we walk through the trial, the pandemic of the coronavirus, are we going to panic like the world? Are we going to hear the word of God I've just read and like the man in the mirror walk away and forget? Are we going to look in the word of God and say, God, my heart doesn't actually do that. And my heart's not going to be prone to this. But God, give me grace this day to not be fearful. God, give me grace this day to speak about you. God, give me grace this day to try to encourage someone else. God, give me grace this day to serve other people. Are we going to hear God's word and be hearers only? Or in the midst of the pandemic, friends, are we going to be doers of the word of God and relying on his strength and receive the blessing that comes from walking with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for your word. God, we're so thankful that you've not left us on our own, unsure where to go or what to do. God, you are with us, and there's such hope in that. You've revealed your will to us. And God, we are so thankful for that. And God, I do pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters of the Gateway family, Lord, that you will give us much wisdom to know how to be doers of your word in the midst of a, a crisis situation. In a world where it seems like everything is shutting down around us for a season, where there's so many around us who are in panic, who are in fear, Father, I pray you would help us be doers of your word. God, I know in my own heart it's so easy to be hearers of these things and to hear a command to not be anxious, yet to quickly start reading the news and get anxious again, or to hear your word of the command to bless others, but to be worried about just what I need for myself and my family. God, give us much grace this week, Lord, to not be hearers only, or to be hearers who forget, We've got to be doers who act. And God, we confess we can't manufacture this. Where well, I cannot manufacture a heart with no worry in, my, in myself. And none of us can manufacture a heart that cares about others in a pandemic. But God, you can. As your Holy Spirit dwells within us. But even as we sang earlier in the service, Spirit of the living God, come to change us. That is our prayer this week. As we read your word and we hear your word and we study your word, that God, you would keep driving us back to your word. God, when we're so quick to forget, I pray that the Holy Spirit might show us that we're forgetting. And then we'd run back to the scripture and see it again. And you might strengthen us and give us steadfastness in the midst of this trial, Lord. That we might become more and more like Christ. Lord, I pray as that happens that you would give us many, many opportunities to make Christ known in the next weeks to come. But you give us eyes to see people around us the way you see people. Whether it's a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, a friend who is anxious and concerned. God, help us know how to stir them up and encourage them. God, help us know if they don't know Christ, how to point them to Christ in the midst of all that's going on. Lord, let us be your ambassadors in these weeks to come, where that you might get the glory and we might find the joy, the blessing of being used by you as you advance your kingdom in the midst of the hardships and brokenness of the world right now. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?